everybody. Welcome back to the In Theory, I Was Right podcast with me, Harris Kaufman, uh, your host. This uh, episode is brought to you by nobody, because I'm the only one who does this, and nobody, not enough people listen to this uh, to be able to monetize this or have anybody interested in um, posting ads and stuff. So it's just me. Um, today, I will be talking about Blade Runner 2049. Um, I saw this about uh, two weeks ago. I'm just getting uh, around to talking about it now. It is a heavy movie. There is a lot going on. It really took me a little bit of time to uh, digest it. Now, I this episode, I'm not going to be... I won't do my usual talk about a um, comic book character uh, just because, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling this out, trying new things out. And really, this is just a movie that has nothing to do with, um, you know, with comic books or anything like that. So I felt like it would be um, a little random or distracting. So I'm just going to get right into it. So I saw Blade Runner 2049, and uh, that was directed by Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve however you want to say it, a uh, French guy. It stars Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Dave Bautista, Robin Wright, and Jared Leto. Um, the score was by the great Hans Zimmer. And um, getting right into it, you know, I really like this movie. Um, there are things, of course, that I can nitpick about that I will get into. But as a whole... Um, it was a really enjoyable cinematic experience. You know, all of the apprehension that I came in to that I took for, took away from the first episode. I'm sorry, the first episode, the first movie. You know, was really a product of the fact that it was made in the '80s. You know, all the th- all the issues that I had with that movie that I tried to leave outside of the theater um, were answered and were changed and and. You know, realistically, I this was although this was the next chapter in you know that this series of movies, it really stands on its own. So you really can't talk about Blade Runner twenty forty nine without first talking about the original Blade Runner. Uh, the original Blade Runner uh, came out in nineteen eighty two. Uh, it is based off a book by Philip K. Dick, uh, which is called "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" Um, now. Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, is widely considered responsible for establishing this kind. I guess it's the neo noir genre. Um, you know, this really like it's 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 like this futuristic punk kind of gritty gritty visuals. Um, and and you know, I, I mean, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, had this kind of overtones of of Japanese culture that I'm not certain are uh, standard in like the neo-noir genre, but this one certainly did. It certainly carried it on. Now this was the first, I'd say the first real adaptation or really representation of that. And it is, I don't know, it really the, the, the bedrock for which that um, kind of visual is based on. Um, So, Blade Runner, the first Blade Runner, um, it starts off with, you, it, it follows Harrison Ford's character, which is Rick Deckard, and Rick Deckard is a, is a Blade Runner, which is basically an officer that hunts down, he hunts and retires, quote-unquote, which basically kills uh, replicants, and replicants are androids. Replicants are, you know, they're 
synthetic people. You know, they're 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 created. They're robots. And and in this movie, in the original Blade Runner, um, replicants are soldiers. Essentially, they're 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 extremely strong. You know, they're very fast and whatnot. And they've been given a redacted lifespan. So they, they only live a couple of years. Um, now the issue with the blade on or with the, um, with the replicants is that, you know, they've started to rebel essentially, you know, they're, they're, they've done their part and they, you know, they're conscious entities. So they start to rebel against, you know, their purpose and the replicants that go rogue, that's where, um, Blade Runners come in and it starts off with a handful of replicants that have come back to earth. They've hijacked a ship that come back to earth and, um, Rick Deckard is, is hunting these few down and he, he, well, he's tasked with doing that. Um, while he's doing that, he falls for a replicant named Rachel, who's played by Sean Young. Um, and he ends up, you know, they have this back and forth where, you know, he ends up having to, she's special because she doesn't know she's a replicant. And he ends up through the course of the movie, telling her just flat out that she's a replicant. Um, and you know, the existential crisis that a fully self-aware being would have plays out, you know, when, when, when they, when she finally has to accept that she is not, in fact, a real, a real human being. Um, and so, you know, he hunts him down and, and, and you know, as it, towards the end, at the, at the very end, he's faced with kind of the leader of the replicants um, as he's gone through and killed all of the replic- uh, all of the leader's um, cohorts. He, there, you know, he, there's a big kind of final fight and they're on the rooftop and the replicant jumps over um, the to another building and, and um, Rick Deckard goes after him and he misses and he grabs onto the ledge and um, and the replicant, uh, his name's Roy Batty, uh, plays by Rucker Hauer, um, he, he grabs his hand and he pulls him up. So this this their fight, you know, he take he has mercy on on um, Harrison Ford's character. He pulls him up and he has his, he has, he says the, the end monologue, the, the tears in the rain monologue, which in and of itself is, is a fantastic monologue. It is arguably one of the best monologues in movie history. I, I certainly recommend um, looking it up on YouTube. Now, so that's basically the, the, the plot of, of the first Blade Runner. Now, the issues that I took from the first Blade Runner, it, it, you know, I respect the movie, but it's not a very watchable, rewatchable movie. You, you watch it once, you get the idea. You don't really need to watch it again just because it's so dated. You know, it, it's an 80s movie. It looks like an 80s movie. It sounds like an 80s movie. There's a lot of synth. There's a lot of synthesizer. It makes it kind of hard to, to, to stomach, but you know, it's not a very long movie. So, you know, you do one pass, you'll be all right. Um, but that's really my issues with it. You know, visually it has a, a very cool look to it, but its execution is just so dated. And then the, the score, although it may have been groundbreaking at the time is, you know, it, it's just a little hard to 
it's just really high pitched tones and and there's no real there's no melodies to it. It's you know there, it's just background noise really. But yeah, I mean compared to other movies like it, like Tron, it's 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 interstellar compared to Tron. Um, but yeah, so those those were my, my my issues with the first one. Now getting into Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So the original takes place. Blade Runner originally takes place in the future, quote unquote, in two thousand nineteen. Now our movie. It picks up 30 years later um, at, in, at 2049. Um, so even though the original Blade Runner was basically about, you know, the, eradica- the eradication of these rogue replicants, this movie really starts off accepting that the re- replicants are now a part of society and gener- are generally a lot more responsive to their human like, counterparts. Uh, they, they still essentially act as slaves that... When they don't follow orders, they're retired, quote unquote. Um, but you know they hold jobs and that aren't just for battle, you know, and you know they're a part of everyday life. Now Ryan Gosling, he plays a replicant, and his name he plays a replicant named Kay, and he worked for the LAPD, and he's basically a new type of Blade Runner, and he hunts uh, and retires his own kind. Now. Um, it starts out with he's in transit to an investigation, to an ongoing investigation into kind of this underground rebellion of replicants. And that's when we first meet Dave Batista's character. Um, and he plays um, this guy named Sapper Morton. And he was, this, this Sapper Morton was a, he, he's now a farmer, but back when he was, you know, a soldier, he was a medic. He was a field medic. And so he ends up having to retire Sapper Morton. And when he does so, as he's kind of surveying his, um, his, his property, his land, he discovers kind of these humanoid remains under this big tree. And it turns out that those remains were that of uh, Rachel, Sean Young's character from the first from the first Blade Runner. Now, so he takes the remains back and he examines them. Or not he, but he, he brings them to the... Um, to the police station, and they have their people examine them, and they determine that Sean, that Rachel, a replicant, she has given birth, uh, which was actually the cause of her death, and it was thought to be impossible because she is an android. Androids are, though they are, you know, similar to humans, they do not possess the ability to reproduce. But this one did somehow. Um, so there's a big to do about the implications of what that means. And that they're, you know, the higher up to the LAPD believe that the news of this could lead to, you know, a, a conflict between humans and replicants. So Kay is then ordered to get rid of all the evidence and then track down and kill the offspring of Rachel, you know, the, the child, if, if he or she was still alive. Now, that's usually, that, that's about the time we meet Jared Leto's character, who... He works for the old company in the original Blade Runner who was making the replicants. And he's kind of, he's been trying to make a new replicant. And his, his goal is to get a replicant that can reproduce, um, you know, like, like a human can. Uh, and he gets word that, um, of what happened, really. And he decides to go after the child or to find the child. And in order to do that, um, he has to find Rick Deckard because Rick Deckard is 
assumed to be the father. If Rachel is the mother, then obviously Rick, the love interest in the first one, would be the father. So basically everybody's trying to track down Harrison Ford's character. And they, they're trying to get to him because he'd be the really only one that anyone knows of that would have any information of, of where this child is, who would now be an adult. And, you know, throughout the movie, there are scenes and there are flashbacks that are meant to represent, they're, they're meant to make you think that Ryan Gosling is the child of Rachel. They're made to um, make it seem like they're memories, they're his memories. Now he, you know, as a replicant, he can't tell the difference and he's starting to believe that he is in fact this um, this child. And, you know, so the memories end up, what he believes to be memories end up being implants that's you know that they give to all um replicants in order to make them seem more human um his his memories turn out to be implants so ultimately he turns out not to be um rachel's son um so jared leto's guys um they track down rick and they end up taking him and they end up kidnapping him and they're trying to get the information out of him and you know what happens in the in in their interactions. Um, Jared Leto's character brings out what is essentially a clone of Rachel. You know, just to kind of play on the heartstrings, tug on the heartstrings of of Harrison Ford's character. And for whatever, however they did it, you know, like movies are getting are getting crazy. It is Sean Young, and and you know they have her walk up and you see his reaction to it, and he and he turns it down. He says no. And he goes, she had green eyes. They got her eyes wrong. And in response to that, they're, they're, you know, they're not going to get information out of him by sweet-talking him, so they're going to torture him. They're going to take him to a site off-world off to torture him. And so they put him in, you know, they're, they're, they're transporting him. And Kay decides, you know, now that he, you know, he's kind of squared with the fact that he is not the child of Rachel. And he decides to go save Rick and reunite him with his daughter. You know, with or you know, with his child, which which Kay knows to be a daughter, because he he ended up meeting the daughter inadvertently when he went to go and determine whether or not these um, his imp, his memory implants were his were real or if they were fake. And they turned out to be real, but they turned out to be the um, the girl that that made them, obviously. So he that and that's the that's the movie. He ends up. Uh, saving Rick and, and reuniting him uh, with his daughter, and then you, the, you know, the final scene is, you know, is Kay all bloodied from battle, um, you know, laying in the snow and, and passing away, um, and that's the basic gist of it. As most of you, as most of you know, who haven't, who've seen it, and those who don't, now you do. So. This cast. Let's talk about the cast. This is a star-studded cast. There's no, there's no bones about it. Um, you know, I have become a real, a big Ryan Gosling fan. I was a huge fan of uh, La La Land. It's, it's one of my favorite movies of 2017. Um, or was it 16? Whatever of the past year. It's one of my favorite movies of the past year. Um, the Nice Guys. He's hysterical in The Nice Guys. The kid's got range. The kid, the guy, the guy's got—he's older than I am. The guy's got range. Um, he's, he's he's very talented, and 
he's able to pull off, you know, he's able to pull off robotic, certainly, and he's able to pull off robotic that still has feelings. A robot that is confused, you know, a a it's almost it's almost childlike where, you know, this being is unsure of itself, is unsure of its place or purpose in the world outside of everything that it's been told, you know, outside of its job, really. And then he starts to believe that there's something special about him and there's some hope there. There's some hope in that maybe there's meaning behind that and then only to have it snatched away from him. You know, you see, you know, the the implications of what it means if he was and then him resigning himself to the fact that he wasn't. And, you know, all the issues that may have come up with him actually being the child, you know, it's bittersweet. It's a double-edged sword because he would be hunted and he would be, you know, his life would take on a whole new meaning. But ultimately, it would it would give it meaning. But then, you know, having to accept the fact that he's not special and he's not human and, you know his purpose is still defined through the old parameters. It's still defined through his old, you know, his old job. And he decides to kind of break from that and, and, and for give him his life meaning rather than, you know, have it be through somebody's, somebody else's definition. He decides to give it meaning by reuniting Harrison Ford, reuniting Rick Deckard with his daughter, you know? And I thought, he did a really good job of kind of of running the gamut of all those emotions and 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 really what that meant. Um, Harrison Ford, of course, is always good. You know, despite how you feel about him as you know in his personal life, I think he's a bit of a weirdo, but he's always good. That guy delivers consistently. He doesn't watch any of his movies, which again I think is weird. Um, but he he's able to kind of flip that switch because he. he you know, there are some people that you can see part of them in their characters, you know, in the characters that they play. Uh, and he's not he's not one of those people, you know, like Jonah Hill. You could see he, he kind of t- puts himself a little bit in each character that he has as an example. But Harrison Ford seems completely, you know, just com- like a completely different person, which obviously is the goal. You know, you know, you 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 are acting, you're being somebody else. But you know, I think that I think that just it's a, it's a testament to his skill, really, um, that he is able to, um, you know, to really to be somebody else and 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 not, you know, just have and, and really separate keep his keep the keep his personality separate. Uh, Dave Bautista, although he had a very short, um, a very short role, very small role. He, he, the guy's learning. He he's learning how to do it. Um you know, the old story of him once he found out that he got Drax, he got the role of Drax, you know, he broke down crying because he was so happy and then he and then he signed up immediately signed up for more acting classes, you know. The the guy just seems like such a nice guy. He seems like such a genuine a uh, genuine good heart, you know, and like he really just appreciates what he has and he seems like a really hard worker and he's great in Guardians of the Galaxy and he's great in this movie. He plays sullen 
you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's interesting to see such a, such a massive form because so, he's such a physical specimen emote, you know, and, and, and show fear and, and apprehension, you know, because when, when K shows up to his house, he knows why he's there. And, you know, it's just, it's a very tense scene and you just see him just, he's obviously the bigger of the two, but he's still afraid because he knows what's coming. Uh, Robin Wright, always good. Um, she is a supporting role, of course, but, um, I, I can't really nitpick anything about her performance. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's well done. She does a good job. There is a scene when one of Jared Leto's goons comes after her and she, you know, she pours herself a drink. She takes a sip of the drink and the, the woman or the Android who's, who's, the replicant rather, who's interrogating her, grabs, you know, grabs her hand that's holding the glass and shatters, crushes her hand while she's holding the glass, the glass. So the glass shatters in her hand and you can just see the blood pouring down and it's, you, you can hear the glass crunch in her, in, in her hand. And it's just, it's just such a visceral action and her, and her reaction is like, yep, that's probably what someone would do if they had a, if they had glass crushed into their hand, it's really tense and really uncomfortable and awesome. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. It was a great scene. Um, and then there's Jared Leto and you know, I respected, I respect this guy for his ability because I think naturally he's very talented. He's a very talented actor. He's very good in Dallas buyers club. Um, you know, I, I mean, he won an, he won an Academy Award for it. You know, the guy has talent. He's he's got recognizable talent, but in just the roles he's taken lately, I just hate everything. I hate the choices that he's making, and it, it's not that he's he's not acting well. He's just the I just don't like the choices that he's making. In this movie, it, I'm not so, I'm not so much I'm not so sure it's him or the character, but it's just. It's unlikable, but not in an endearing way. It's unlikable in a way that doesn't elicit any emotion in me. You don't hate him. I don't. I didn't hate him in this. I just like. I don't. Like I, I know what you're going for, but I don't know why you're going for it. You know he he wants to make these. You know he he's the creator. He's God in this movie, and he wants to create a replicant that can reproduce. But it's just unclear to me why that matters to him. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I missed something, but otherwise the character is throwaway to me. He's a throwaway. He's a throwaway character. Um, I I just didn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't all overwhelmingly intimidating. Um, I don't know. I, I just didn't. I didn't like where he took it, and I, I didn't like the character. And I thought there was enough drama, really, without him. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I was excited to hear that that he was in it, and I and I, I, I didn't really know what I expected out of him. But you know, for w- w- what he delivered, I didn't like. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, so this movie was directed by Denny. 
Villeneuve, I, I don't know how to say it. I don't know. It's French. Villeneuve, I think. Um, and now this guy, his, his, some of his other uh, credits are Arrival, are Sicario, and Prisoners. I've seen all three movies. They're, uh, all three of them are fantastic movies. All three of them are, are they oh, visually stunning, stunning movies. All three of them. They're all incredibly emotional movies. Um, Arrival especially. Arrival, I watched, I watched the first time I loved it. And the second time I loved it even more. Um, it, it took me two views to really understand and, and, and process what that movie meant. And it's just, um, it was, it, that was another movie that I thought was one of the best movies of the year when it came out. Um, Prisoners is hard to watch, to be quite honest, just because Hugh Jackman is this grieving father who's trying to find his daughters and, you know, he, he, he's a normal suburban dad that is pushed to a point of madness, you know, and, and it just shows that movie really shows you know, the depths that human beings will go when they're tested with, you know, when their when their lives, their lives are threatened, when their loved ones are threatened. And he's able to get, Denny Villeneuve is able to get these, these performances out of his actors that are just, they're groundbreaking, to be quite honest. Um, I've never, you know, I've seen um, Hugh Jackman play angry. Everyone has. You know, as Wolverine, he's always angry. He's constantly angry. But in Prisoners, he's it's it's desperation, and it's it's animal animalistic tendencies. It's 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 grief. It's you know it's violent, but it comes from from it comes out of this. I don't know. It, it it's just a very a very powerful performance in Prisoners. You know, Amy Adams in Arrival, beautiful performance, visually beautiful. Sicario, um, Benicio del Toro, another beautiful movie. He, this man knows how to shoot a movie, and he knows how to make the most out of his, out of his shots. He tells a story with his, with his, with his, with his visuals. He tells a story with his scenes, not and 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 like you get story with dialogue, you get story with with your actors, but you get a whole extra level of story and emotion out of just the, out of just the, the scenery and the visuals. It's, it's, it, it, I will watch anything that this man does. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. Um, and so when, you know, like everything that he's done that I've seen is just, I would recommend to anyone very, very rewatchable. Um, now the score, one of the, Biggest issues that I had with the first Blade Runner, which was, you know, synthesizer tones. This one um, was also fantastic. It's uh, the score was done by Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is probably my favorite composer. Um, you've got oh god, what's his name from Star Wars? Um, I'm blanking on it, but oh, John Williams. That's right, John Williams. Um, he's obviously, you know, he's done so many historic scores, but Hans Zimmer, I think is the most recent 
uh, composer that he, the things that he does are are I mean the emotion that he brings out in a scene just from his just from the score is 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 undeniable. You know, he scored um I believe all the Batman all the Christopher Nolan Batman movies he scored um really anything Christian Christopher Nolan does he scores. He did Dunkirk, which was also a fantastic movie. He did a fantastic score for that. He did um Inception, a very great score. Um Great, great soundtrack for that movie and Interstellar, which is an exhausting emotional ride, but also but one of my favorite movies visually. Um, but he did the score for this, and it was fantastic. He knocked it out of the park. He it, every th- issue that I had with the original score completely was changed with this one. It was a it 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 absolutely fit the scenes and and really. Really, I think reinforced what Denny Villeneuve was going for um, with, you know, with with the emotional undertones of this movie. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, it was it, it was I think a perfect marriage of of sight and sound. Um, now, visually, you know, as I said, Denny Villeneuve's previous movies are visually. Uh, appealing, and this movie was no different. One of the other issues that I had with the previous movie uh, were, was that you know it, it, it looked very dated, but this movie, obviously uh, being ne- being made now, uh, you know the, the advances are obvious. The advances in technology are obvious. Um, it was a it was so interesting because on one hand you get the you know kind of you know, neo-noir look of just the grays and the, in the blacks and just the rain, you know, this dark, these, these, these dark scenes and these dark colors, but then also you have very vibrant and very beautiful, um, scenes, very, very colorful scenes. You know, there's this, there's one, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Kay is deciding to go and save Rick and he goes, He's on this kind of ledge, and he sees this this big hologram of his of of a of a computer program that um, that he actually had he had had a romantic relationship with. He you know his girlfriend was a computer program, um, but you know, and she had been destroyed by um, Jerry Leto's company. Um, they're the goons or whatever had destroyed her, and he sees a big hologram of her and she, she's all in pink and blue and she turns to him and she's giant and he's little and she's just, she's looking right at him and you get, you get the light from her, this pink and blue. And then you, you see hit, you see Kay cast in the dark. So you get this, this juxtaposition of, of, of light and dark. And it was just a very, very beautiful uh, scene. I actually have it printed on, on a canvas and, and it hangs above my bed. Um, but yeah, visually this movie was, um, was very dynamic. Um, I think it was, uh, I, I don't think you could paint it with one brush pun intended. You know, it, it was just, um, you didn't know what you were going to get scene to scene, but it just kind of, it wasn't overwhelming. You know, it really, it wasn't out of character for this movie. Um, I think it was very consistent while still being different. Um, but yeah, visually it was a beautiful movie. So all in all, I, I really loved Blade Runner 
2049. It, it, you're, you're clocking in around three hours. It is, and it feels every bit of three hours. That would be my, my one main drawback to the experience. It, it was just a little long, um, which, you know, you, you, you're, it dragged a little, you know, you're like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's get the wheels going here. Um, but other than that, it, it was a, it was a fantastic movie. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend if anyone hasn't seen it, they have, uh, by all means. Now, the next movie that's coming out, Thor Ragnarok, comes out next week. And that's that's my, that's my next podcast. That's what I'm doing. And strap in, because all accounts, it's got like a 98% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and all the, all the, all the reviews are good. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be, I'm going to have a lot of good things to say about it. I'm really excited about that. Uh, again, if anyone's listening, thanks a lot. If not, yeah, you know, you're not going to hear this anyway. But, um, yeah, uh, if you want to reach out, any questions, comments, concerns, uh, Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, man, thanks for listening.